Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Today for Spirit in Action, I get to highlight some of the good work done in my area and sponsored on one of the fine community radio stations of our nation, Converge Radio. Conversations in Color is a radio and video podcast discussing issues and topics related to color and to much more. Several people have been involved in getting and keeping the series going, and we have two of the founders with us today. Ed Hudgens, originally from Virginia, now in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, has, among other education and skills, a master's degree in intercultural leadership and has been part of a blog called Tome Swab, but more about that later. We also have with us Salika Duxworth-Lawton, raised in Louisiana, longtime resident of Eau Claire. I've had her on Spirit in Action several times because of her wide-ranging, thoughtful, and deep activism. There's Juneteenth, Uniting Bridges, ACLU, and lots more. In addition to our visit with Ed and Salika, we'll be sharing a portion of an episode from the Conversations in Color broadcast, including Salika and also Shang Elizabeth Lore and Janice Spriggs. Right now, over to Ed Hudgens in his busy office room and Salika Duxworth-Lawton, both via Zoom. Ed, it's so wonderful that you can join me today for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you. It's good to see you. It's been a while. I think we used to play some basketball together at the YMCA's. Yeah, but I used to lose, so it didn't matter. I don't want to remember those times. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to dredge up bad memories. <laughs> it's good to see you, Mark. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. And Salika, it's great to have you back on Spirit in Action. You're always a highlight of my day. Great to see you, Ed. You know you're in my heart. And the topic today is conversations in color. I'm wondering if one or the other of you was the spearhead, was the founding. I know your partner's in crime on this, but did one of you or the other of you have the original inspiration, desire to make this happen? Ed is the one who had the original desire and the idea, I think. So, Ed, I'll let you speak to it. Well, I mean, we, (laughs) sure, but it really evolved out of conversation with you and me and Jason Anderson and Evan Middlesworth from the Pablo Center. And it was in the wake of, obviously, the murder of George Floyd and then the protests and different things that were happening. And our desire was, let's continue having conversations. We know the emotion is going to die down at some point. And instead of falling asleep again, let's continue having conversations so we can keep these issues present. So that's the heart behind it. But yeah, I guess it was, that's a lot more than you asked for, Mark, but I'm not going to take credit for it. I think it was a group effort. And to be able to have these conversations in a calm and humble manner and in an open manner and an honest manner where it's not a gotcha and it's not the screaming and howling that we're seeing. It's more what you get around the table when friends talk to each other, honestly. I've heard you, Ed, go through the base rules, the ground rules that you have for conversations in color. You want to repeat them so our listeners know about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's three H's. I need those kind of mnemonic devices. Is that what they're called? Humanity, honesty, and humility. And just to kind of expound upon that, the honesty, obviously, we want to just have open, honest conversations with each other and not feel like we can't talk about the real stuff when leaning on the hard stuff. The humility part is we want to come in knowing we don't know all there is to know about anything. 
y'all can probably relate to this, but the older I get, the less convinced I am that I know much of anything about anything. And so we want to have that kind of feeling coming into it that we're all coming to learn. And then the humanity part of it is nobody's going to get vilified on the show. Like it doesn't matter what your, where your stance is. We're going to talk to each other as human beings and honor the humanity in each one of us. For me, that's been a really important thing from the beginning. Well, all three of these are important, but that one is at the core because of my belief of all people being created in God's image and that kind of that the inherent value and dignity that comes with that. I am impressed about the mention of God in this because a lot of people try and stay rather distant from that. In the episodes I've listened to, that can come up, that this comes out of my religious impulse to make this better, more peaceful, more loving world. And I think that's true for you too as well, isn't it, Salika? Yes, and I've spoken about being a Catholic, but I've also spoken about how Matthew 5 to 45 really is what a lot of people who call themselves beloved community activists are supporting. If you're following King and you're following the six principles of nonviolence, you really have a commitment to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And I've also referred to Reverend Barber and the Moral Mondays movement, which Uniting Bridges, which I'm representing on the program really is more aligned with Moral Mondays than the BLM website. I think for many people who have been involved, especially in the what I call the Summer of George Floyd and Civil Rights 2.0, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Buddhism, Baha'ism, there's a similarity with all of them. And, and it moves to the trying to turn your enemy into a friend trying to understand, trying to bridge the gaps, trying to welcome the outsider. And Quakers have long been at the forefront of this. Quakers were the first religious group to fight slavery. So I think that fits pretty well. And I've become a fan over the last couple of weeks of the Braver Angels movement. And I don't know how much of you have listened to them. But to hear debates, as they call them, about abortion, about sex work, about things that are usually very contentious, that people, you know, what you just mentioned, Ed, that kind of a sense of respect for the other person, even as you disagree strongly. I've been amazed by that. Have you got to points of real tension in conversations in color where people wanted to say a bad word, but said, no, we got this other rule going on? No, I I mean, I'll I'll let Salika speak to this, but we really haven't had a lot of these really super tense moments where we feel feel like people are crossing lines. We've had some moments where people have said some stupid stuff. (laughs) And that's not meaning to be disrespectful, but literally, yeah. Quoting something that wasn't true, that was easy to fact check. But even that, I mean, it wasn't like, I, I guess, Salika, if you want to fill out that picture a little bit. I think that the zeitgeist for us is not to attack people. You know, we're leading with gentleness. It's wise feedback. There have been a couple of moments that have been a little hard, but that's going to be with any honest conversation. And I think it's up to me, Ed, Shang, the others who are involved. The fact that we stay calm and we're working our best not to respond in kind really helps to keep it grounded and grounded in this humility. You know, jumping off of something that Ed said, you know, the older you get, the more you realize the nuances of something. The more you know about it, the more you recognize 
that it's not black and white. There's a whole lot of gray. The older we get and the more experience we have, the more we recognize the limits of what we know. And Conversations in Color really is about bringing people together so we can bridge those limits, but also talking about these conversations in the real way that people live them. It's easy to be black and white and nasty and everything when you don't have a lot of experience with it and you don't live with the people who you are lambasting. But if they're real people, then I think it becomes a whole different animal. It's a lot harder to otherize them. Real quick, I'll just mention that that's a great segue into talking about how we were not anti-Republican or anti-Democrat. We're anti-bullcrap honestly. But we're, um, well, I would say, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about on the show, we may sound like we're leaning more progressive on a lot of those things. Really, the truth of the matter is we just want to talk about what's real and get to the truth on things. I will say this, and I don't care who it might offend, like I'm kind of anti both parties. (laughs) I think both of them have done a lot of harm, especially when we're talking about social issues, equality issues, equity issues. I think And honestly, we need to bring, that's one of the gaps that we have is we need to bring more conservative voices, which is a little bit difficult to do, but bring more conservative voices into the conversation. And I say it's difficult because we haven't always gotten people who are willing to do it, even though we've asked. So if I can make a suggestion, by the way, something that may help you, there are two statewide coordinators for the Braver Angels Network. And they have the connections. And I'm pretty sure that Cameron, at least, would be willing to come on. I've spoken to the two state coordinators, and they're both wonderful people. One's Republican, served in our state legislature, and the other one is on the other side of of that. But seeing how people who deliberately meet people from the other side, that's a rich thing. And I'm sure she'd have good suggestions and connections locally as well. I appreciate that. I just wrote that down. So definitely going to be following up. One of the things that we have talked about is instead of looking for politicians, we're going to look for ordinary people in the community because politicians have sometimes a benefit to exploiting divisions. It's going to be ordinary people in the community who will want to bridge the gap over the values. And part of it, too, is and I referenced this on the show that we did last week. There is no liberal way. There is no conservative way. Sometimes we need to stop thinking in terms of right and left Mm -hmm. and start thinking in terms of what is it that these people need. And the example I used was if you look at Milwaukee and you look at the issue of entrepreneurship, right now the right wing way would say create these zones with no regulation in them. And the left wing way would be well, we'll create these funds for people to do these things with. If you talk to entrepreneurs in Milwaukee, and I have a bunch of friends who are down there, what they would say would be, one, stop the banks from redlining. That would mean enforcing the regulations that we already have. And two, stop the inspectors from taking bribes, enforcing the regulations we already have. So the things they need are not the knee-jerk anti-regulation on the Mm -hmm. right side, throw money at it on the left side. Instead of doing that and just trying to apply this, we need to ask the people what they need. 
One of the things that Braver Angels does as part of their principles is they don't want to talk to the big stars, the politicians and so on. They want to talk to common people and common people who can then respect each other and look for common ground. I mean, what a brilliant idea and something our nation should be founded on. I'm really intrigued that Conversations in Color is happening here, Chippewa Valley of Wisconsin. It's local. It's coming out. We've got the wonderful voice of Converge Radio that's helping it happen. I want to ask you a few things about what's on Converge Radio. I'm going to start with you, Ed. And again, this is Ed Hudgens. We're Hudgens. Hudgens. <laughs> Since my last name growing up is Judkins. That's why I was having to. Yeah. Hudgens is here. And besides conversations in color and being part of the steering force for that, Tome Swab is a program that you do. Would you tell our listeners what Tome Swab is about? Sure. Although the show, I stopped doing the show just recently on, on the radio. I still have the blog, which is painfully behind in like content creation because I hit my own human limitations, you know, the, my own walls and needed to step back a little bit. But the Tome Swab thing is going to continue. Tome Swab is, it started out just as a music blog talking about music. But what I realized is that it was really more, it needed to be more about how music can affect change in terms of like emotional healing and just healing in general and what it can do for us with the emotional connection with music. And then it evolved into just, let's talk about healing. Let's talk about peace and experiencing peace and what that can look like. And so the radio show was oriented around that premise. The blog is oriented around that premise. And I would say I'm not as deeply involved with Converge as I, I used to be. I was the chair of the board there for about five years. One of the things I love about Converge Radio is the commitment to these social issues. It's a part of the DNA of the station to lean in and help and try to make things better. So that's something that I know that we're, we're talking about, even making that like an official part of our values on the website and such. It's just ingrained in who we are. I love that about Converge. And Tome Swab, it combines a Norwegian word meaning clear with swab meaning sound or noise in Hmong. And right. I don't know how many words of our language combine Norwegian and Hmong. <laughs> how did you yes. end up choosing that? I wanted it to be, when I was thinking about what I wanted to call this, whatever it was going to be, a blog, just a blog at the time, I wanted it to be something that brought together different aspects of our community. And so, you know, being Norwegian is a big, the Norwegian influence is a big part of culture in the upper Midwest, prominent part of our culture. And then obviously we have a thriving, beautiful Hmong community here in Eau Claire. And so that was the inspiration for it is to just kind of draw from a couple of different of the cultural elements and bring them together as a part of the name. I have, have considered like, is it okay for me to say swab? Because that's not actually how you pronounce that word. It's schwa. But I, I can say swab a lot easier than I can the other one. <laughs> so I've stuck with it for now and, and asked for grace from my Hmong friends. I haven't heard a lot of negative feedback, but I consider that like, you know, hey, probably not even pronouncing the first word right. And can I ask just a little bit, Ed, about your motivations? Again, this yeah. is both were conversations in color and Tome Swab and just the way you live your life. And you made reference to, you know, seeing God and everyone respecting that. What does this come from historically for you or religiously or spiritually or yeah. familially? Where does it come from? It comes really from my understanding of Jesus as I understand him through the New Testament. From the time that I got serious about my faith when I was about 13, 14 years old, I started seeing connections between what I was reading in the Bible and what I saw happening from a social standpoint in the world. Everything from war and being anti-war to serving the poor, and then obviously equity issues, justice issues. 
I like Salika talked about with the Sermon on the Mount. I look at the Sermon on the Mount and I'm not sure you can read that without a lot of extra filters on and come away without thinking that that speaks to social justice issues quite a bit. So it's driven by it's driven by my faith. As my faith has evolved over the years, it's really about the idea that God is love. You know, when Jesus was asked, what are the most important commandments is love God, love your neighbor. In the Old Testament, the most important commandment, love God, love your neighbor. So to me, everything is oriented around that. And I think for me to really like live in that kind of love, that agape, others-centered kind of love, which I'm not very good at, but for me to live in that means that I want to help us all experience peace. I think that's the end game of life is to experience peace. And I don't mean just lack of conflict. I mean, like well-being, that we're thriving in life and we're doing it together. So that's that's really the, the background for why I do most of the things I do. And does playing pickup basketball games at the Y <laughs> increase or decrease your amount of peace? <laughs> it used to be a very, it used to help a lot, but I haven't done it in a long time. And I'm not sure my body would allow me to do it right now. So <laughs> I miss it. <laughs> I, I'm going to be getting back to it. I was down a couple times this past year, just playing one-on-one with someone. But at 67, I am aware that things do break and wear out. But <laughs> I still have a feeling that next year I may make the NBA, I think. There I'm you go. Sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm rooting for you. Who's an optimist here? And <laughs> <laughs> over to you again, Salika Duxworth-Lawton. Besides teaching at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, you're a principal force in Uniting Bridges. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about that, Salika. Well, Uniting Bridges was founded in 2016 by combining the boards from the Martin Luther King program and the Juneteenth program. So really, Burl Middleton was the driving force behind founding Uniting Bridges. There are other people who helped to do this, Mike Huggins. Clear Vision was a big influence on us winding up incorporating in this way. The mission was to bridge the gaps of race originally, but other groups have come to us. So now it's to bridge the gaps for race, gender, sexuality, and marginalized status, and also to promote excellence and support those with marginalized status in the Chippewa Valley. So with that, we've got a number of programs going on right now, most visibly are the Martin Luther King and the Juneteenth. We've stayed small, we've stayed local, although we're doing some statewide stuff. Towards One Wisconsin support was a statewide project for us. Transformation Project, which is led by Burl and Dang, are statewide projects. But to stay local and to stay very invested in the Chippewa Valley is really important to us. The question ahead of us is, will we stay an advocacy group or will we become an agency? Right now, there's desperate needs for mental help for all sorts of people. And that includes people who are working class whites here or who have children with disabilities here in the Valley. We need people need something like Judy Care, which would be legal care to help them with civil issues as well. There's so many needs. And right now, Uniting Bridges has been very good at coordinating with other groups to help them. We have a number of people who are volunteers. We can distribute out when other people need help. We can call on for our programs or we can call when something like a march or a protest happens to help create protection. Ed has helped with that. 
a number of others have helped. So we have these partners. And I think that really one of the strongest things we've done is be in partnership with groups like ACLU, Jonah, Expo, Chippewa Valley Votes, and Chippewa Valley Equity Initiative, so we can get people to the groups that are already existing to meet their needs. We really do a lot of work bridging the gap between community groups and the governmental sectors, as well as the business sector here, including working with the Chamber of Commerce, really trying to support the emerging businesses that are happening here as a part of bringing marginalized people to the center. Because bringing marginalized people to the center and making sure that they are included, making sure this is an inclusive area is very important. When Ed said agape, that's really at the heart of Uniting Bridges. Agape is that love for community, that love for God, that love for self. Whether that God is going to be Allah or the goddess, whichever way you decide to look to the divine, or if you don't think there's a divine, because there's a place for those people too, to have an open space for everyone where we're going to work together for this common good. And how do people get a hold of Uniting Bridges? I'm a part of one group on Facebook, where, but I think there's two. Well, yeah, there's uh, Uniting Bridges, Chippewa Valley Equity Initiative has a group as well. But we have an email, unitingbridges at gmail.com is probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. And we'll have that link on nordenspiritradio.org. The main reason we're here today, though, is to talk about conversations in color. I don't know. Have you finished your second season or is it just right at the end of it? The first season was actually recorded at the Pablo Center, RCU Theater. And now you're being broadcast from our own beautiful shift, cyclery and coffee bar. That's a, a really wonderful, intimate little place to do it from. So you're in second season. How long is this going on? Is this going on forever? What are the plans? As long as we can keep Salika doing it. We've got a lot going on. You know, we really haven't planned. um, We don't have a clear plan for season two ends here. With with season one, just to be honest with you, we kind of started it super quick. We didn't have everything planned out like we, I think we'd rather have. But there was a desire and a, a felt need to get the program going as quickly as possible. And so we just, I think we did it. We got the first show going like within a, a month or so of having the first meeting with Jason and Evan from the Hot Pablo Center. So I apologize for the background noise here. A few more people jumped in the room. <laughs> I apologize. So we took a break after about nine months doing the first season. I think we all just needed a break. And then season two here, we kicked in. We're only, we're what, nine episodes in or something like that. I can't remember, but we don't really have a plan. But I think what we're going to do is probably have a break around the holiday season, at least every year, take a few weeks off, let everybody refresh. We also have plans for how we can maintain it without anybody burning out now where, you know, I'm, I'm not going to host every episode. Salika is not going to be on every week. I think that's going to be good for everybody <laughs> that we are setting up some boundaries. I did want to mention, though, regarding, you know, how this has all evolved. I think there's a providential aspect to this. I had reached out to Salika in, I think it was late winter, early spring of 2019, 2020. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, because I wanted to develop with her some kind of programming that would run between Juneteenth and July 4th. Mm -hmm. And so with Juneteenth being the celebration of the last slaves being freed in Texas, and then going into July 4th, which is our celebration of America, 
like, let's be real about American history. Let's put this program together. Let's process through this together, maybe do some lamentation. We started talking about that. And then that's how we really first connected. And then in, and in May, George Floyd was murdered. Next thing I know, you know, Salika's got me hosting a vigil for George Floyd, a virtual vigil for George Floyd. And then everything progressed from there. And, you know, we've been partners in crime ever since. To me, like the timing of everything, how it worked was really providential. I I don't have a problem with luck, but in this particular case, I think it was providential. So is this program just happening? Uh, You seem to have pretty decent technology. Is it just happening out of the goodness of your heart and the depths of your pockets? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really rich, and so I'm just spending all of my personal cash on it. And no, we have an incredible team, not only of the people that are working on it. And I want to I'll call out. You know, we've talked about Shang, Adam Akala, and Dr. Rod Jones have been incredible helps as well. Adam works with Colab. Dr. Rod Jones is one of our council members as well as a professor at the university. Amy Renshaw has stepped in. She is the uh, an editor with Brilliant Star Magazine from our Baha'i community here in town. And she's stepped in and helped with a lot of the administrative pieces. And it's been awesome. Justin Anderson, on behalf of the Pablo Center, has been doing all of our production work. And he's like a wizard. I mean, he just does amazing stuff. And then, of course, we've got our, our corporate sponsors. I mean, corporate sponsors, our sponsors, <laughs> our partners. And that's Pablo Center at the Confluence, Uniting Bridges, the University of Wisconsin at Eau Claire, Shift, Cyclarian Coffee Bar, which have provided that beautiful venue and delicious coffee, and then Converge Radio. So none of this happens without that, those partnerships. And it's a great team that we've got together and great partners all together that we have with the show. So I'm grateful. What a great amount of support of all different sorts, hands-on and the pockets that are contributing. It makes such a Absolutely. difference to have that available. Yeah, there's some wonderful stuff both of you are doing in our community and feel so rich about it. In order to give people a flavor of what Conversations in Color is about, CIC, by the way, for short, Conversations in Color is about, and again, this is broadcasting on Converge Radio, and their website is convergeradio.org. That link's on northernspiritradio.org. In order to give you a flavor, we grab something from episode six. I think that maybe, Salika, you can introduce a little bit about what this communicating with our community was about? Well, yes, that was the one with the EDI special assistant, Janice Briggs, and with Cheng Lore, who, Elizabeth Lore, who is one of our co-hosts and is also a social worker specializing in trauma and working with kids I mean, alcohol as well as drug abuse. So we were talking about linking those specialties and how do we bring services to the community, but also how do we use EDI in the community to bring marginalized people to the center? EDI means? Equity, diversity, and inclusion. Good. Very good. Not everybody in the world knows EDI. (laughs) No, and I I shouldn't be acronyming like that. It's very bad of me. (laughs) Well, you serve time in the military. Of course, you have to acronym everything, don't you? Yeah, but I try to work against that because then you get out in the real world and people and you say 1300 hours and they look at you strange. So (laughs) you have to meet people where they are. And some people will mix up the, it will say DEI and some people would say IDE. So I should be using the university acronym, but it's equity, diversity and inclusion. And in many ways, that episode was about how do we use equity, diversity, inclusion to help people in the community? 
and especially to help people where they were. So this, again, Salika is on this episode, Sheng is on this episode, and Janice is on this episode. It's a rich one. We're going to listen to a good-sized clip of, it's an hour-long program, but we're not going to listen to the whole thing. Before we listen to that, I want to remind you, you are listening to Spirit in Action, my website, northernspiritradio.org. Here are all of our programs going back to 2005, and that's a lot of guests with a lot of links. We include the links here for Conversations in Color, for Converge Radio, for Tome Swab, for Uniting Bridges. You can connect with all of those via northernspiritradio.org. Please post your comments when you visit our site, and do remember to support your local community radio. In our case, that means, of course, WHYS Radio, where my programs started, and Converge Radio, where we're shared. There's so much wonderful growth for our nation coming out of local roots of our community radio stations. So please do all of that support everyone just get your hands in the pie i don't know if that wait it's finger in the pie i'm i think i'm doing bad mixed metaphors here but (laughs) but what i'm talking about Put your hand somewhere yes and (laughs) please support them so we're going to listen to a good-sized clip now from the sixth episode of the second season of conversations in color and we'll come back for just a moment afterwards here we have again salika duxworth lawton shang elizabeth lore and janice briggs sharing for conversations in color why are you still committed to conversations in color Well, I spoke about this last time, but I'm committed to the mission of togetherness Mm -hmm. and having really tough conversations that are uncomfortable, but meaningful, especially with people that I obviously personally respect, but just people that the community respects. So I'm in it for for that reason. Yeah, so uh, Conversations in Color, the first time I I think we met, you mentioned it and um, just intrigued by it. I've watched some of the videos, whether it's interracial friendship different things that's happening, current events that's happening nationally and globally. And I think this this is a platform for bringing us together as you think about inclusivity in the Eau Claire and surrounding community and giving people a voice you mm-hmm. know, and space to be your authentic self and brave and to, to discuss, as, as Sheng says, lean into the discomfort and use it as a learning moment. Well, we have... With you two, two of the leaders here in the community. I don't know if I'd say I'm a leader. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the social exchange project makes you a leader. You're stuck. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody watch social exchange podcasts. I'm sure there's one coming up. It's a very sad plug-in for that. (laughs) Thank you. I'm not the best (laughs) plug-in. But Dr. Briggs, we wanted to introduce you to the community and really say what you're doing and how you're helping us move towards that idea of a welcoming community Mm -hmm. and a community that's looking forward to the 21st century and not stuck in the divisions of the past. Right. I I really love my new community. Um, My family and I moved up in June. I did not know the history of the position until I moved here. So I remember when uh, Vicky reached out to me and she was saying, um, the media would like to talk to you. And so I was like, me? Because, you know, in, in academia, like, you know, mm-hmm. the coordinators, normally at the bottom, they talk to the manager, the director, the vice president. So I had no idea the history of the position until I came here. And so I'm honored to be um, the first person in this, in this role. And it's a split position between the city and the county. And um, when I got here, I wanted to do active listening. I wanted to tap into the rich organizational and 
institutional knowledge with my coworkers at the city, coworkers at the county, but then also of equal importance is getting out into the community to meet the movers and shakers, right? Uh, I met groups, I met individuals, just to get a feel under, uh, from their lens, from their experiences, how they view the city or the county in terms of accessing our services, just that overall um, picture. And if there are barriers that they're experiencing and how this new role could help to be that conduit between the local government and um, or, or residents um, here. And then internally in the both organization, I was meeting with coworkers one-on-one. I was meeting in department groups, teams. And so my entire summer was spent really just networking, understanding um, the lived experiences here, understanding the aspirations, the goals that my coworkers have for the, co- for the community or for um, the organization. And so um, that gave me a, a, a basis to start. This is small because it's a big organization, but as many people as I could possibly meet. But I also used the, um, both organizations had existing EDI data, right? Um, so how can we, if we have the data, how can we make these um, suggestions or recommendations actionable? So then I had another baseline there to start too. And so I have a Jedi team for the city and a Jedi team for the, um, for the, for the, for the county because it's two different organizations. So justice equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so there's a representative from all departments on each team. And so we've been meeting, Sheng is on the team for the county. We've been um, monthly. There's always, we have speakers come in and there's always a learning moment. We're leaving. What new mm-hmm. knowledge can you leave this meeting with that you didn't have before? And then hopefully Jedi members are ambassadors to their departments. So the latest thing that we're working on now is a strategic plan for the county mm-hmm and one for the city where equity work is concerned. How can we operationalize equity into everything that we do? So that's the latest thing that we're working on. It's in draft right now. Um, but I have I gave supervisors and their department the entire month of November to meet with your team. Here are the four goals, or organizational culture, workforce development, community engagement, and continuous learning. And then you and your team see how then do you see yourselves in this girl? What, what the work that you do, right? Um, so I've gotten a lot of feedback from my coworkers, departments that I'm going to be integrated into the document before I share it with County Administrator Shaw or Interim City Manager um, Dave Solberg. But, you know, it's, I, I was looking and I, I'm in the process of writing an article for the newsletter for the county, kind of just to give a brief synopsis of the work that I've we have been doing um, so far. And I was looking at the, even the community engagement piece. It really, you know, our organization is not in a bubble. We definitely need the community, you know, even partnering with you, you know, with um, Toward One Wisconsin. Toward One Wisconsin. Um, last week I did um, Stand in the Light Memory Choir, that group, and I've been meeting with different groups of ask about different things. How can we start thinking about things from an equity lens? What does that mean? Right. So it's always a co-learning for me, too, because, you know, I, I, I'm not I didn't know that um, even with dementia, um, African-Americans, I, the data just showed that 64 percent higher yes. than whites when it comes on to. So, again, I use these opportunities, yes, to strengthen collaboration, establish um, collaborative work together, but also that learning piece I'm taking with me, too. So I'm talking too much. Let it no, I'm <laughs> going this in. I mean, I think the public-private partnership here is so important, and to have the groups, the community groups here is so important. What, how, I should say, can we get community groups to coordinate with you so that we are not 
competing for the same group, you know, grants so that we're not wasting resources against each other. So we maximize Mm -hmm. resources with each other. I mean, we've got the Chippewa Valley Equity Initiative, which already is helping in that regard. UB has the membership group. So we're beginning to see people will post in there. So we know and we're working on trying to get a calendar. But what is your vision for getting these community groups to work together? I mean, is it something like maybe we have a summit at some point where we put everybody in the room and figure out what people need? Or or is it something where we align these groups? Because I think especially a lot of the majority groups don't understand that what helps marginalized people helps majority people as well. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows the inclusion pedagogy helps first generation white and second generation white as well. They benefit from it. It's just like anything we do for people with disabilities tends to help people who don't have disabilities as well. So, so how do you have a vision of how you want to get the community groups to work together? I think uh, the Chippewa Valley Transformation Project, I think that w- that's their uh, main goal, is to get these different entities together, both private and nonprofit um, organization um, together. But for me, from the lens where I'm sitting, I, I think we have to center community and mm-hmm. we have to... We need shared values, but also trust, right? Like, um, I can't just say um, going to, for example, the Hmong community, not understanding not the community and start to say, okay, we need to get this done, get that done. So really meeting people where they're at. Um, for me, when I'm either the Hmong Mutual Association or Hmong Economic Development or the Black and Brown Power Women Coalition, it's, it's understanding the Hmong culture. And it, for me, it's a lot of learning what's the best way to communicate with um, the group about our Hmong elders. How do, you know, how do, and I think if we as local government, and, you know, um, I've been to meeting with um, Dave Solberg, interim city manager with the Black and Brown, Power, Black and Brown Women Power Coalition, um, um, County Administrator Schaff and I have been there too, um, Chief Rokas, it, again, if, if, we, if we can bridge that gap between local government and these grassroots organizations, we can really do a lot of great work around setting up our community to thrive and flourish in, in the 21st century and beyond for generations yet to be born. But it takes that getting out of your four corners, right, and going out to the community and really listening because they know their needs, right? right? And then how can we then leverage resources to, to, to um, come up with solutions? You know, there's a lot of talks with you know, the unhoused population, right? And, and so it's going to be meeting with Sojourner and, or Beacon. Is it Beacon? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Beacon House. Right. And, and just these different um, folks who are doing the work on a day-to-day basis and then seeing, okay, how, how does lo- what is the role of local government in mm-hmm. all of this? So having those conversations... And so I think the key is like if you find that mover or shaker in these different organizations and invite them to have a conversation. I'd love to come mm-hmm. to you know your um, whether it's Hmong Mutual Ass- Assistant Association to have a dialogue. We'll just get to know you, and then sh- that's what I've been doing, going into these spaces, mm-hmm. saying who I am and my role, and I'd love to work together. Is there any common ground or you know sh- you know just being transparent and being honest and not performative? I think you know. 
members? I, I mean, I just want to say that that's exactly what you've done. Like, I met you, I think even before you officially moved here, <laughs> well, I reached out to you and, like, we oh, yeah. uh, got together. But I think you had already done some of that work beforehand. What I will say is a lot of this is relationship building mm-hmm. and trust and rapport building. And I feel like you've done just that. You didn't come in saying, like, this is my plan for everyone. You came in saying, like, I want to learn and know what you're already working on and what's already in existence yeah. and how can I work together on being that liaison right. between all these organizations and movements and initiatives. And so I just want to say that you're, you, you've, you've come in as like a sponge in a lot of ways, <laughs> in a good way. A lot, of, you know, a lot of it has been you just absorbing all of this information and then strategically putting it into plan and action. I've seen that in you. Well, thank you. Way to go, friend. <laughs> We're actually friends outside of that. <laughs> Is there a way to bring the neighborhood associations in here? Because I mean, one of the problems that we have as a country, I mean, it's not just an Eau Claire problem, is a problem of trust. Mm-hmm. And, and Eau Claire, That's in every community, right? That's usually the issue is you don't trust, you don't know, fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you look at Eau Claire, and, and, and I'm, we're, we're all from bigger cities. But people here get very invested in the north side, west side, mm-hmm. south side thing, as if there's really that much of a difference. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and, and I live on the west side, and there are people like, oh, how can you do that? It's like, really? <laughs> have you lived in the ghetto? This is not ghetto. Eau Claire does not have a ghetto. I drove my mom around town, and she said, there's no ghetto here. And I said, well, they think that one area is. And she's like, it's clean, Salika. The houses are in good repair. I, I, I haven't seen... You know, the, the, the antics you will get in South Central or the neutral zone in New Orleans or some of the, the other places that I've lived. But I think people here who have never been outside of Eau Claire don't get that. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of class distrust as well as race and political distrust. The political distrust really is a... <clears throat> maximization of the other two distrusts. So I know that the city is working on an EDI plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we thinking of, in that plan, how to build trust of, of things, you know, maybe like doing some training for the public in de-escalation or, or maybe in how to behave in public? <laughs> <laughs> I think I need that one. <laughs> I don't know. I've been to the mall. My daughter has gone to high school dances are out here. There's many people who could use those lessons. Yeah, you know, I think um, when it, with organizational culture, we're thinking about the leadership, the vision. That's what's going to drive the strategy. So, yeah, we need trust, you know, internally mm-hmm. with our um, coworkers and so, there, yes, trust will be woven throughout everything. There's that community, community engagement goal that I talked about. But then that fourth goal of learning, continuous learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, Even for us, right, who's doing this right, work. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And um, then bringing in the um, presenters, um, whether with lived experiences or academic experiences, mm-hmm. to come and help develop in, our internal capacity. So that's where that learning piece is going to come in and I, I hope to tap into the rich knowledge and resources in here in our community to facilitate some of these dialogue facilitate some of these uh, discussions in a space that honors the dignity of 
my, myself, my coworkers, mm -hmm. you know, again, uh, um, there's going to be different viewpoints. Um, but I do want to say, like, I remember you saying something like, this is a safe place and a brave place. I don't know if you can reiterate yeah, that. Yeah, because, because you created that right away, even in our learning groups um, on the task force, you laid out kind of these are kind of like facilitator roles and responsibilities, but really expectations, like this is a safe and brave place. I want everyone to be able to come in and have this authentic um, point of view on really what you're feeling, what you're really mm -hmm. experiencing, because otherwise the work really isn't uh, right. real work. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, it sounds elementary, but we have our Jedi principles, right, mm -hmm. for a task force. And it's just that sheer reminder about honoring the, the human dignity. And that's part of that rapport building, yeah. honestly, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. And I can see how, you know, even virtually, we've been meeting virtually, how or or. Mm -hmm. or bond with each other is, is, is growing. Um, even name your favorite candy and why. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we love them icebreakers. <laughs> you do all those. But, but you know, um, it's, 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 it's really that, you know, Salika, it's, you know, understanding when we're going into these um, spaces, what might be safe for me might not be psychologically safe for you. Mm -hmm. You know, just understanding mm -hmm. that so this, we're going to need to have a brave space. Um, and if you're uncomfortable, uh, it's okay to take a step back, you know, um, because people have different kind of traumas and there's different mm -hmm. topics that can, you know, you don't want to unintentionally. Like triggers right, and things. Right, right, mm -hmm. right, right. And that's right up your alley. So you can speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> triggers are my social work. <laughs> but it's trauma-informed, right? right? That's yeah. essentially yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's trauma-informed care and mm -hmm. communication and um, understanding that piece to things too, but yeah, right, yeah. Uh, we just had um, uh, t uh, city city supervisor training, and so I had um, Brianna and Mackenzie from the county talk about trauma informed care in the workplace and how what does that look like, and you know, from a supervisor lens and stuff. And it was interesting that you know, when I when I knew the topic that we were talking about, but I still wanted to do my own little research, and you look up about the adverse environment um, effects and conditions. And they talk about poverty, racism, discrimination, and all of that. You know, we, we bring our individual identities to work. And so um, just being in spaces where your supervisor um, can be empathetic um, and see, you know, or just have that trust. And oh, I noticed, you know, Dr. Dr. is it's a little slow today, or the project timeline, or whatnot. You know, kind of like, uh, what's going on? But without having that, what she means is individualized experiences. Yeah, every yeah. unique individual. But it might be a little slow today. No, but you know, like, it might be a problem. You know, you might never know. Like if you're she always seems distracted, on, right? You know, like something's always, off, right? Yeah. If you're always on time with projects and stuff, and it's like, yeah. if you don't have that basic relationship with your supervisor, or if they're not even in tune with that, it's kind of like you just get slipped through your crack. It's like you know. Just a conversation, you know, I notice, you know, what, you know, is there anything I can help? Do you need, you know, you might be care, taking care of a loved one at home. I mean, COVID has changed everything. Mm -hmm. And so you never know what people are dealing with. And so not assuming, but having honest conversation with your team, getting to know your team. Do you find that you have to help people learn how to speak to each other without... You know, I could say the word triggering. I don't want to use the word triggering, but I want to use the words without making people feel attacked. I'm thinking in the Gottman terminology of it. 
When people feel attacked, either they turtle or they attack back. Mm -hmm. They get defensive. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. get really defensive. Yeah. So, so do you find you have to teach people how to not be defensive, especially when you're out here, maybe less with the city and the county, or I could be wrong, or more maybe out in the community, especially with people who already think, well, I'm doing more than enough. I don't need to learn anything. <laughs> I don't think I've been we don't have those that people much. at all. We have none of those here in Oakland. I think it just goes back to relationship building, too. Like, being able to communicate effectively and having empathy for that person and really understanding where that person's, I guess, perspective and lens comes from and um, meeting them where they're at. You know, I think that's a huge part of it um, first. And then, yeah, I, I do think effective communication skills helps a lot. Um and then on the other side, not always acting or, or feeling that somebody's attacking you, but being able to understand maybe perhaps where they're, they're coming from so you can have an, a meaningful dialogue and effective communication in that, too. So, If we were to talk about what Eau Claire needs in terms of we have viewers out there who want to volunteer, we have viewers out there who want to be involved in this work, how do they become involved in work? This work is broad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a big, broad. I think just figuring out what you're good at naturally, right? Like, like what are you most like interested in? Taking right. inventory of yourself. Like, what are you interested in doing? You know, whether um, it's let's say you're really passionate about helping um, homelessness in mm -hmm. this area, mm -hmm. looking at what initiatives are already in place for helping people who are struggling, especially right now during the season with winter. Yeah. How, how do you contribute to that? Right. Whether it's volunteering or contributing financially or whatever it is, whatever that looks like for you should be individualized as well. So like if you are interested in volunteering and doing some work in the community, mm -hmm. I don't think, I, I always kind of think of so, social activism looks very unique for everyone. You know, some people run for local government and they're able to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to do a lot more in that position because they have, you know, the energy and they're willing to commit to that. And then some people just volunteer once a month doing whatever it is that that fits their schedule. And so I think it really mm -hmm. just comes down to what are you interested in, in doing and what, what are you passionate about and what are you able to commit to? Yeah. yeah. You know, we have the community table and they provide meal seven days a week for, you know, so if that's, mm -hmm. if that's what you're passionate about, I think there's a lot mm -hmm. of opportunities here in our, in our community to really give back and still feel that sense of fulfillment. Um, I think even as far as looking for opportunities, the Chippewa Valley Equality, Equality Initiative, right. yep, they have volunteering um, opportunities and ways you can get involved in the community, mm -hmm. too. I really like that. Jennifer Kiko, who started that, I think, with you, uh, or David Carlson, maybe? Mm -hmm. um, a couple people, too, that started with that. And that's part of the intention with that platform is, you know, you, you have um, materials that you can learn about different things, whether it's uh, race, LGBTQ community, um, different, different topics there for adults and children, and then there's also an opportunity where you can learn about ways you can get back to your community if that's what you choose to do. Yeah. You know, even like the faith community, there's so many, it's a broad faith-based groups here in the community, whether it's the schools, if you want to help with our future generation and get into the, the school system, there's a process, of course, that you have to go through. There's opportunities there um, to help. And so, again, just find out what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be on boards, commissions for the city or the county, there's a form <laughs> that you get the resource back. You just fill it out. We do have the local know. election coming up. So anybody who's interested in any of the vacant positions there. So, um, you know, we, I think 
as local government, we want to be representative of our diverse communities mm -hmm. and just making sure that we have access, you know, for community, whether probably their first language is not English. Do we have interpreter services? And, you know, so I think there is a lot of ways to just get involved and reach out. You just were listening to an extended episode from Conversations in Color. The instigators in principle for the whole Conversations in Color program were Ed Hudgens and Salika Duxworth-Lawton. Salika was part of the clip you just heard, but you also heard the voices of Shang Elizabeth Lohr and Janice Briggs. I have links to connect you up with all of their work, and Shang is doing a whole lot of wonderful work. And Janice, I can't believe we got the good luck of having her come to Eau Claire. We're really rich in the number of people and the seeds that people have planted. So all of that is going to be linked. You can listen to the full episode. I'll have that linked on northernspiritradio.org. And mainly I want to just say thank you to both Ed and Salika, who are with us here today for Spirit in Action, for doing your work. I am hoping that Ed will meet me on the YMCA early morning. <laughs> for We can play a little one-on-one, -on -one, something that neither one of us are going to kill ourselves doing and <laughs> on the basketball court. Ed, thank you so much for starting out Conversations in Color for your blog. Tome Swab will have that linked on NordenSpiritRadio.org and for joining me here today for Spirit in Action. Oh, man, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And Salika, you know I love you. I will deliver to you the salsa that you've been waiting for, the stuff I can each fall. I hope you put it to good use and don't let your son eat it all. I will hide it. <laughs> I will definitely hide it. And Mark, you should challenge my husband to one-on-one -on -one as well. Sounds great. I think there's something good coming up here, and I, I hope that Ed will get in on this. And thank you so much for your work. Uniting Bridges for Suffolk University for Juneteenth Day, every way which you make this conversation in our community happen in such a beautiful way. Your spirit shines. Thank you so much, Salika. Thank you, Mark. And folks, all those links on NordenSpiritRadio.org, we'll have these folks back in various roles soon because they're doing so much good work for the world. We'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on NordenSpiritRadio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo.